You know who I am. You know who he is. You know his character. You know my character. I ran because of you. I ran because of Barack Obama. Because you did a poor job. If I thought you did a good job, I would have never run. And I won't let four years of Donald Trump rob us of the most fundamental American qualities. Our hope in the future and our faith in ourselves. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success. If he gets in, you will have a depression the likes of which you've never seen. What is on the ballot here is the character of this country. Decency, honor, respect, treating people with dignity, making sure that everyone has an even chance. And I'm going to make sure you get that. America, who are you? I'm Arlene Bynum. And I'm John Laboutlier, and this is Revolution. John, this is going to be a different kind of a podcast, different kind of a talk. Here we are, and putting it into context, it's four years, four years almost, since we have been sitting down discussing what was supposed to be a revolution, which has turned in to a long, strange journey that we've had watching the presidency of Donald Trump, and now we're at the the election. We are just days away here. And the reason we chose that title is, is it really just about Biden and Trump? Nah, we're watching. We're watching to see what America has in mind, because in my opinion, America's on that ballot as well. John? I couldn't agree more. And I think as Vice President Biden said in the last debate, character is on the ballot his character versus Trump's character, but really each voter's character. Mm -hmm. Are you endorsing the behavior of Donald Trump or are you rejecting it? And we won't know for another, you know, little bit of time what the final outcome is, but we already know certain things, which is the level of interest in this campaign is extraordinary. The voting is extraordinary. The turnout of all people everywhere. The, the, it's, I'm sure it's being broadcast around the world, the lines of voters in every state waiting one, two, three, eight. I've heard 11 hours in Georgia in some places. Extraordinary turnout. What is that saying? I think it's saying a good thing about the character of the voters, mm-hmm. that they care and they're not happy with the state of America. And it's happening at a time when this pandemic is raging again in the very states where the voting is taking place. So they're risking their life to stand in line and they have to endorse whether they think our government is handling the pandemic. So all sort of come together in in an amazing way. You know, people are being so careful now and we talk about it here because of what happened in 2016, but there has been a steady show of a lead for Biden. And it has gone on since the moment he announced that he was going to run or was musing about running. It has been steady. And it would be fair to say that in some of these swing states, it's been growing, John. Correct. Uh, Late April 2019, so now a year and a half ago, Biden finally did announce. He was the last Democrat to announce. He waited for all the others to come out. Then he announced And in the polling taken then, he led Trump substantially, high single digits. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's led Trump in every national poll for all year and a half. And back then, and we talked about it at the time, I remember, that Trump was, you know, bedeviled by this thing. What 
do I have to do to get Biden's numbers to come down? Well, we know what he tried to do. Of course, he did this Ukraine stunt to try to get this investigation running over there. And that ended up getting him impeached all for that. And it didn't work. It didn't ruin Joe Biden. It didn't hurt his numbers. Joe Biden then gets nominated. And suddenly here we are with a week to go. And Joe Biden is actually farther ahead. His positive ratings have gone up in this campaign. That's a real rarity. Usually you get attacked left and right, commercials and the other candidate attacking you, and your numbers get worse during the campaign. Not Joe Biden. His have actually gone up. His net positive rating is 10 points, which is very good. And none of it's worked. And so Joe Biden's character, I think, and humor and the contrast with Donald Trump has really drawn the lines in this campaign. You know, and we've seen people come out and make endorsements that have never done it before over and over, and they have to explain themselves. You know, I was really struck by what the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic said, Jeffrey Goldberg, Suckers and Losers, uh, author. And he explained why The Atlantic, for the first time in its existence, was making an endorsement. And he said, and I'm going to read this, two men are running for president. One is a terrible man. The other is a decent man. Vote for the decent man. And goes on to explain why he thinks this president represents not just a choice in politics, but a threat to the collective existence of America. And who would have ever thought that this would be happening? We're watching the Lincoln Project, a group of Republicans who fought this fight for the other side. And they have gotten together and they are fighting what they believe is for America. And it's a historical moment. I think it's kind of even being underplayed a bit, don't you, John? I mean, people are being so very careful right now. I do. And I think when it's all said and done, by the way, on the Lincoln Project, when they write the making of the president 2020, a big section of that story in that book will be the Lincoln Project's attacks on Donald Trump from the moral Republican side of things that, yeah, invoking Abe Lincoln, who is the greatest Republican ever, and maybe one of the two greatest presidents ever, or three greatest. Uh, it's been master, masterful what Rick Wilson and his guys have done. They, they've been fantastic. All right, you know, as we talk about character, there are a couple of stories that you have told me several times since we met. And you have told me these stories before Donald Trump ever decided he was running for president. If his name came up, and in any way, you told these stories. And one of them, I think maybe you've told on there, and I'm not even sure the other one, I don't know how many people you've told. First of all, as we talk about character, unfortunately, your brother had a very serious accident, didn't he, many years ago. And you told Donald Trump about it. And you thought you got a glimpse of his character. What happened, John? It's true. Yeah. September 1988, my brother was paralyzed from the chest down, became a quadriplegic. Two weeks after it happened, devastating injury and devastating to me because I was going to take care of him and was shocked over the whole thing. I went to the Marine Air Terminal at LaGuardia Airport to pick somebody up who was coming because of this. And there was the Trump airplane parked there. And there's Donald Trump 
walking through the terminal. I'm walking the other direction past him. And I, I knew him. He knew me. And I'd been to his office at his invitation. I'd seen him at other events. And I stopped because I'm reeling from this disaster. And I said, oh, my brother just had a terrible accident and he's paralyzed from the neck down, which I thought he was. And Donald Trump looked at me and said, nice to see you, and just walked on. He didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't say, is there anything I could do? I mean, what's what a normal person would do. He had this strange look, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, and just kept on going, which was very odd. But that's Trump. It is odd. And, and we had Roger Stone when he was in the barrel on this podcast, and he spent a good deal of time talking about how he thought Trump admired you so many years ago. You also have another story, and you've never told it. And it is an encounter you had with Donald Trump that maybe showed he did have some emotion. And I'm, I'm wondering if you feel if you feel like talking about it now, uh, Trump in tears. It's the early 90s. It's after this thing at the Marine Air Terminal. I've sort of settled into this routine of being in this New York City. I live on Long Island, but I was in the city almost every day to take care of my paralyzed brother. And for I don't know why, but I was in my car on Madison Avenue, which runs north in New York City, and I'm parked in the car on the west side of the avenue in the 50s or 60s, as I remember. It's 30 years ago, basically. And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat with the car radio on, waiting to pick up somebody or do something, when out of a doorway of a building comes Donald Trump by himself, and he's crying his eyes out. And I stared at this thing, and I, I had no idea. I still don't know for sure why he but he was crying like you've never seen and i've i've told a few people i've told you mm-hmm. obviously i've told mm-hmm. a few yeah. other friends and someone maybe it was you arlene opined well maybe maybe he was in an office finding out about the bankruptcies mm-hmm. or the money i don't know what it was i can't possibly know but there was real crying and i felt bad for the guy i looked out and said man something terrible just happened to him Yeah. So as we look at this character and we look at how it's playing in the election, it's amazing to think that he had a moment like that. He's not crying publicly now, but when you look at what he's doing, one has to worry about what is driving him right now, John. I mean, just hours ago, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's attacking doctors and saying that they're fudging the numbers. So he's attacking the doctors. He's attacking the media. He's attacking the medical experts. He's attacking his opposition and he's attacking the virus. And so many of his voters are frightened they're going to get it and die. Well, there's a lot in there, you know. First of all, the thing about the doctors fudging the numbers to make it Mm -hmm. look like there are more people with COVID is the most insane of all the insane things he said. That's really bad. It's not going to help him politically. To me, the saddest part of it is that anybody would believe that, that any voter at a rally or on TV, watching it on TV, could possibly believe such a thing. And this is dangerous stuff, as he said to Bob Woodward. Bob, this is deadly stuff. (laughs) And yet here he is saying, oh, it's not a big deal. We're rounding the corner. He's really got himself locked into a message that's not working. And Donald Trump is incapable of adjusting himself. Every president that I've watched contemporaneously 
from Johnson on, were very good at reading the tea leaves, reading the public, and altering their position to fit the majority of the people. That's what they do in order to stay popular enough to govern the country. Trump purposely goes against the majority on every issue. I know, but what's driving him? We get back to what's inside of him. And it's about him. There's something inside him. And we've had John Gartner, who was one of the first to do the duty to the warn. And let's let's be fair. I mean, since that podcast, and they've had some criticism for diagnosing someone they have not sat down with, and they address that. However, everything they said, we've seen evidence of it. There's something inside him that is driving his reaction to things. And it doesn't appear to be trying to get more people to vote for him. He's pulling out the hits, though, that worked in 2016. And so far, they're not they're not working. I mean, we have to let the election happen. We're going to see what happens. As we said, it's up to America. We're not you don't have to make any predictions here. America will decide, but boy, he's hitting some roadblocks here. Yeah. And by the way, you're right. It was Dr. John Gartner, February 2017, fifth or sixth podcast you and I had done together. It's called An Unstable Mind. And in that wonderful interview, he tells us from afar, he admits he doesn't know Donald Trump. He diagnosed the three elements of the toxic cocktail uh, that has made Donald Trump mentally ill. But here's one a licensed clinical psychologist who does know Trump, who confirms the diagnosis, and that's Mary Trump, his niece, who wrote this fantastic book this year about it. And not only does she diagnose it, she traces it back to his childhood and the terrible abusive home he grew up in with his father, Fred Trump, and the cold, horrible way Donald Trump and the other kids were raised. So, that, look, Donald Trump's character is what it is. It is. There's lots of people who've been through terrible things. You know, I've done a lot of um, we all have murder been. stories. And yeah, but everybody. Who, yeah, yeah, everybody does. So and then there's a few choices you make along the way, too. So. Right, but then you look at yeah. the other candidate, Joe Biden, and he's had mm-hmm. a lot of things in his life that have been dealt to him. Yeah. Death and suffering and heartbreak and losses. And here we are at 70, he's going to be 78 in less than a month. And he is the epitome of a kind, empathetic, sympathetic, nice man. He may not be a rocket scientist on some stuff, but that's irrelevant as president. We've had many presidents who weren't the smartest guy in the class, but in this case, a good character trumps triumphs over everything. And I think that's why that line, characters on the ballot, and you don't want to make a prediction. I will make a prediction on this thing. Mm -hmm. First of all, the turnout will be up to 160 million people. We had 135 million last time. So 25 million more voters, at least this year, is extraordinary. The percentage of registered Mm -hmm. voters will be higher than it's been in decades. And I think history says you look at the end of the campaign, Mm-hmm. What does the incumbent president's approval rating? Donald Trump's is today is 43. That's usually the vote that the president will get in the election, 43 percent. 
Therefore, in a two-way race, Joe Biden's going to get about 10 points more. He's going to get about 53 or 4% with a couple points for the minor third-party libertarian green thing. And that's a 10-point double-digit spread. That's the definition of a landslide. It's big enough that it will be big in the Electoral College, 350-ish, maybe more, electoral votes for Biden. And that all may sweep the Senate into the Democratic column also. All of that because Donald Trump has a rotten character, treated people terribly for four years and thought he could get away with it. His advisors tried to change him all along the way to their credit. They all told him. But then many succumbed. Well, they got they got removed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you didn't Mm -hmm. be a yes man, you're gone. So, yeah, the ones that are there are yes men and women. A lot of yes women here. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And more than men, actually, have really enabled. Mm, I don't know. Guy. He surround himself with males in his inner circle. Not so. really. Not really. If you look, it's been Hope Hicks it's, has been one of the closest aides. Kaylee McEnany. Uh, God, how can we forget Kellyanne Conway, the biggest enabler of them all? They they stayed all along. Hope Hicks left and came back yeah. to help this guy. Yeah, so did I mean, there's a lot of men. I don't think you're we can put it on women. There's an, there's enough going on here. I don't think it's 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 a female problem. We no, it's not a female yeah. problem, but it's yes men and yes women mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the majority of women, sixty percent of women in America are gonna vote against them. So it's uh, well then and then we're going to look at how this happens in this reality. This you could really see in the last 10 days what has become a template for this president. If he doesn't like it in his own words, he was asked why he attacks the media. And I think a couple of years ago, he said to 60 Minutes, well, I do, because if I don't like the stories, then I I want people not to to believe them. So, you know, he's attacked the media and you can see him trying to make the reality fit what he wants it to. And that's what we're seeing with this virus. So, but people are living a different kind of a situation. I, you know, there's a lot on this ballot. And as we've said, America's on this ballot. The media's on the ballot. (laughs) A lot of people are on this ballot as the world watches what's going to happen in America. And the world is watching. Oh, my God. Yeah. The world is watching here and it could affect politics in every single country. But we're also seeing some great pieces of hope. I know that in Germany already, you know, people are starting to talk about perhaps a new kind of NATO alliance and and asking for a reset button and looking at how countries can come together and deal with the modern nuclear threat by protecting each other in different ways. The stuff that used to make us feel good, you know, this new world order we were waiting for with Donald Trump, if he does not win this election, there could be a new strength to some alliances. Oh, there's no doubt after the election, if Trump loses, and once he's out of power, because we're going to have this tricky two months after the election, if he loses... He's still president, of course. God knows what he's going to do. But once he's really off White House grounds (laughs) and out of all legal power, I think the world will be ecstatic. I think, you know, the majority of the world will be. And all sorts of things are possible. Uh, Biden will put us back 
in the Paris Climate Accord. NATO will come together in a better way. TPP may be relooked at. All those things that should have been done will get done. They- and maybe, yeah, and maybe, you know, he wrote on the back and said there's forgotten Americans. And there are forgotten Americans. There's forgotten Canadians. There's uh, forgotten people in every country. And he he did ride on that. And I hope that's not forgotten, too, because there isn't just one voice for that demographic. Well, I, I think Joe Biden won't forget them. I think Joe Biden will is of those people. He comes from exactly where the heart of the Trump base is, right? That Midwestern swath of once totally democratic states, which Trump flipped narrowly. Biden's the best guy to flip them back, but I don't think he will forget them. And we shouldn't forget anybody in America or any democracy. Mm. Even the ones who don't vote shouldn't be forgotten. All right, John, the time is ticking and this is going to be our last podcast. Of course, we're going to get back to everybody right after the election. And again, it's up to America. It's not up to us. It's not up to me or you or any pundits or anyone. It is up to the heart and soul of America. And we're sure going to have a lot to say as we see how this election unfolds. I'm going to be leaving beautiful Prince Edward Island where there are barely any, I think, one or two COVID cases here in the entire province and driving back all the way to the city of Toronto and the virus will be with us during this election and you and I will be watching this whole whole voting experience and thinking of everything that happened the last time and wondering if there's going to be another revolution. Right. So but technically, because you and our crack recording engineer, Dave Grine, who happens to be married to you, who makes this sound so good, you are moving back to Toronto over the next week, which makes it virtually impossible for us to do another podcast before Election Day. That's why this is the last one before the election. Right. Then we'll do one the week after the election. And America will have voted and will have answered this question. Was 2016 the direction they really wanted to go? Or did they make a mistake? And are they correcting the mistake? America, who are you? I'm Arlene Biner. And I'm John LeBoutlier. And this has been Revolution. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America.